Thanks, everyone. In the words of Mark Landry-Smith, well done. We got to the end. We're here. Persevere with me until the end of our session. It's been so great to be together, hasn't it? It's been so great to get... I want to send us out with a word about enduring, about enduring leadership. You know, a few years ago, I had a sabbatical, and one of the things that I chose to do was solo walk and wild camp along the south coast. And uh, when you start doing things like that, it teaches you a little bit about endurance. You know, long days walking. I can remember walking as I was approaching, coming back through the New Forest to Southampton. And I woke up in my little one-man tent, and I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll walk into Bewley, and I'll get some breakfast, and that will see me all the way home. Got to Bewley, everything was shut. (laughs) Absolutely everything was shut. So I had to walk pretty much to Hythe on no breakfast at all, and I was exhausted. And I got halfway there, and I thought, I know, there's an ice cream van at Hatchet Pond. So I was walking along, and I could see in the distance along this long road, Hatchet Pond, and it was a scorching hot morning, and my feet were blistered. And the biggest decision I had to make was, do I get in the pond first, or go to the ice cream stall first? And in the end, what I did was I grabbed the ice cream and ran into the pond and just stood there. And I was like, it's like when you dip a bit of hot iron into water to quench it. I was like, like that. But the whole thing was a feat of endurance. And uh, no less so is the Christian life and Christian leadership and marriage and family. They are all things that we need to have a spirit of endurance to be able to persevere to the end. You know, when I gave up being a school teacher and uh, was taken on the team at Winchester uh, years ago, uh, went travelling down monthly to Brighton to retrain and get my head into a theological space. And I can remember there was this young cohort of aspiring leaders who were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and we all sat in front of the mighty John Hosier. And in the first session, he said, OK, there's 23 of you in the room. Statistically, in five years' time, a third of you will not be leading anything. And in 10 years' time, a third of you will have lost your faith. And I was absolutely gobsmacked. I thought, that's not going to be me. (laughs) And I look around and I actually, I can now name the people that are no longer in leadership, no longer following the Lord. And it was a sober moment for me. And I didn't believe it at the time. That was the thing. I was naive to the fact that we can get worn out and burnt out. You know, there were, but I know God had spoken to me about the fact that we are in this for the long haul. Uh, you remember when we used to gather as leaders for prayer and fasting across New Frontiers, the whole of New Frontiers, and we would gather in like Peterborough or somewhere like that, hundreds of us. And there was one session where we were worshipping God, and uh, I found myself in that big auditorium And I was sensing God's closeness, and I felt him say to me, run. Run? So I'm there on the spot, and I'm just kind of running. (laughs) Like Everybody's worshipping, nobody's paying me any attention, I'm just thinking, this is is fine, fine, fine. The worship carries on, and I'm still running there, I'm still enjoying God, I'm just running, running, like this, and uh, then... Eventually, I think it was Dave Stroud, drew the session to a close, the worship finished, 
And I thought, oh, great, I can stop now. And God said, keep running. <laughs> Everybody's sitting down now. And I stood there like, running. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I just felt no liberty to stop. So I stood there. Somebody came up, and I think the whole session was led. People prayed, and I was still stood there running. And then the break came. And I thought, oh, hooray. Hooray, I can stop. And God said, no, keep running. Keep running. So all the way through the break, everybody else is getting their hot chocolate with 16 sugars in to keep them going. And I'm still stood there burning off calories like no tomorrow. And literally, I was running for about two and a half hours on the spot. And then God said to me, okay, do you get it now? And I said, do I get what? <laughs> he said, you run until I tell you to stop. And I thought, okay, can I stop now? (laughs) Yeah. And I stopped, and the peace of God filled me. And I knew in that moment God had said, you must keep going. You have no liberty to fall out of rank. You have no liberty to give up and throw in the towel until I say so. And now looking back, this is years ago, and now looking back and looking at all the leaders that I've seen fall and fail and crumble in the intervening years and the damage that has been done in those contexts to dear saints and to once healthy churches and to ministries that were international, I can understand why God calls us to endure, to endure. A friend of mine spoke to me recently and asked me a question, how long have you been working for the church, Chris? And I thought, how long have I been working for the church? It got me thinking, and I, I, I listed it, a few things down. Since I've been a Christian, I did 10 years as a school teacher in London and Hampshire. Then I did 21, I've done 21 years working for churches, three as a pastoral assistant, 18 as an elder. We've moved city, planted a church, grown it, multiplied it, served other churches all through that time, and been on lots of different teams with New Frontiers and Commission. Joe and I have also managed to enjoy a great marriage and happy family life. We've got two birth children, two adopted children, now into grandparenting with two lovely granddaughters. And I'll tell you, over those 31 years, I've had some big disappointments. I've had some great joys. I've had some seasons of real challenge. I've had some times of great breakthrough. I've been admired and I've been criticised, sometimes by the same people in a different week. I've encouraged some people. I've disappointed others. Church life has been happy and healthy, and we've loved it. And probably the last three years, for us as a family, have been the most challenging, toughest time of our lives. But I can tell you, in the midst of that, I love Jesus. In the midst of that, I am still thankful for his call on my life. I still feel hugely vulnerable but I'm still generally upbeat and optimistic. I still love the church. I've made it through COVID and I'm still here and I want to still be here in 10 years, 20 years until the Lord says otherwise. And I want you to endure too. Now we've been in 2 Timothy, haven't we? And Steve did a great job with those verses and there's one verse that I want to pick up on that he spoke about, which is where Paul said to Timothy, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know this metaphor well. One of those three that Paul uses for for Christian life, and particularly for Christian leadership, I would say, is appropriate to us today. 
you know, the other ones being the athlete and the farmer. But the question I want to ask is this. How do we maintain our peace and our security and our, in, our strength to enthusiastically continue to lead and serve our churches? And how do we continue to press on in mission to a world that is largely hostile or ambivalent to the gospel? And I just want to mention three things. I think God wants us to be aware that we are in tough times. I think God wants us to be confident that we are part of a tough team. And I think God wants to cultivate in us some tough traits. So Paul said to Timothy, it was an invitation to his dear son to endure hardship. Now this is an invitation to join him in tough experiences. You know, in the, in the previous verse, Paul's just encouraged Timothy to stand strong, to stand his ground in the midst of all the apostasy and the false teaching that was prevalent around him. And he'd have been only too aware of what Timothy was like, his weakness, his vulnerability, his physical infirmity, sometimes his natural diffidence, his, his, his timidity. Yet he still urges him to stand and to fight. And, and, and what I want you to understand is Paul is not pushing Timothy into a context where, where Paul has not himself existed. Paul is one who is speaking from experience. He's not saying, Timothy, go and endure hardship. He's saying, Timothy, come and endure hardship alongside me, with us. It's an invitation, and it's in the context of his relationship. He doesn't want to hoodwink Timothy and kid him into thinking that Christian leadership and Christian ministry is going to be a breeze. He's not trying to offer some kind of unrealistic optimism. He is giving him some realistic Pragmatism. He's saying, Timothy, this is going to be hard. And I think when we have the confidence to drop our leadership facades and put our hands up and say, Christian leadership is hard, I think we can understand something of what he was inviting Timothy into. In fact, I go as far as to say, if Christian leadership and ministry isn't tough, we are not doing it right. We are not doing it right. You know, we've heard from John already. Paul said later on in the letter, didn't he? Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Paul was persecuted more than most. So he genuinely is speaking from experience. The danger is it's easy to be enthusiastic about our leadership responsibilities when things are going well. You know, when, when people are happy. When the church is, is growing, when the finances are good, when the team feel encouraged. But what about when things get tough? When things are hard, when the church just feels stuck, when people are grumbling, when there isn't enough money to pay the bills, when other leaders around you are discouraged rather than encouraged. What do we do then? What do we do in that moment? Do we just avoid it? Do we bury our heads in the sand? Do we somehow try and pretend it's not happening? Do we get a bit conditional and say, well, I'll I'll help them, but I'm not sure I can got the zeal for that bit of church life? Or do we just give up? Do we just fold up and collapse in a heap of despondency and depression? Do we throw in the towel? Do we look for the exit door? What does Paul say? Endure. 
endure hardship with us. That's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, come, come and join in this painful experience with us. Be part of us. Be on the team. Be on the winning team. You know, I remember years ago when I was first invited to play in the first team at my college, in the rugby team. And all my mates were big. And I was quite small. And I was invited to come and play against another college. And I turned up and I felt completely inadequate. Most of my other friends, like I say, really experienced and bigger than me. But I'd been chosen. I was on the team. And so I turned up, had my kit on, gone through my match day routines. And I stood, and we used to stand in a row and face off the opposition and just stare them down for five minutes before the game. It's a very manly thing to do, isn't it? Like that. And there's me, mate. And I looked, and my opposite number, the two centres in this team, were both from Korea. And they were like across the shoulders and down. Like a brick. I mean, seriously, they were massive. And I can just remember thinking, I'm going to die. I'm gonna, I am genuinely going to die. The first time I tried to tackle one of them, I got my arms around his leg and his thigh was so thick that it just kind of burst and just went straight in my jaw. The second time, I just thought, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to run through the gap. So I ran through the gap and the two bricks closed in and I was just kind of like... Ooh. And their shoulders kind of squeezed me in the middle, and I collapsed concussed on the floor. <laughs> now, I wasn't going to be shown up in front of my friends, so I got up. I knew I'd been concussed. I was seeing stars. I went off for 30 seconds. I got a drink of water, and I thought, I've got to get through to the end of this game. And I got on, and I played, and I tackled, and I ran. I got home. We didn't win. But I got home, my legs were red raw, my jaw was hurting, every muscle in my body was killing me. I got into the bath and it was another one of those quench moments when every graze and bruise on my body felt like it was being seared. And I sunk into the bath. But do you know what? It was one of the happiest moments. Because I got through, I persevered, I'd endured, I'd got to the end of the game. And we, it, it, for me, that was the victory, was to just get through it. And I think it's exactly the same with us in ministry and in leadership. We're going to take the battles. We're going to take the bruises. You know, to endure means to experience something and to survive it. To last to persevere even though there is physical struggle. And so God wants you to have this spirit of endurance, this, this long-haul mentality. You know, if you just run on the first zeal of visionary passion, it will only get you so far. It's like marriage. I remember meeting Joe. I remember falling in love. I remember thinking she was the best thing I'd ever met. And you know those sparks when you... You know, just as they were like angels dancing around our head. And... But that's not marriage, is it? That's the draw. That's the thing that draws you in. But that's not going to be the thing that, you know, when she's sorting through the laundry 30 years later and kind of, you know, and I'm, I'm exhausted and want to, you know, offload. And it's not going to be that first spark of passion. 
that keeps a marriage going for 30, 40, 50, 60, however many years God grants us. And it's exactly the same with Christian leadership. Now, some of you younger leaders are passionate and you've got a growing passion for the church. But if it's only a zealous passion now that doesn't have the mindset that I am here for a long time, then when the character things come, when the trials come, when the pressures come, when the Korean centers come and squash you between their shoulders, we can be taken out of the game. And we've seen it, sadly, so many times. God wants us to endure so that we can be fruitful. But that doesn't just stem from our gifting. You can be fruitful by enduring. As we've heard earlier this week, just by being faithful. I remember a guy describing himself as a plodder. That's an enduring spirit that takes one step in front of the other and keeps going. Paul says, endure hardship with us. So this is an invitation to partnership, to being on the team, and you and I have been chosen. You're an us. I'm an us. We've been invited, we've been chosen to be part and to carry a leading role in God's church. The only answer to the tough times that we exist in is the church. Just been in with Andy Cottingham doing a superb preach on the grace of God and the manifold wisdom of God displayed through the local church. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. We're on that team. We've been chosen to be part of that group of people who have been set apart on planet Earth to display the manifold wisdom of God to angels and demons and people. We're on it. We've been invited. Endure hardship with us. And I want to say this, and I hope it doesn't sound partisan. I think that as part of the commission and the New Frontiers family, I actually think we've got a pretty good team. I genuinely believe that. I believe that our fruitfulness stems from the values that we're getting right and the people that have walked with integrity and the people that have fought for the values that we hold dear, the word and spirit balance, the grace message, the importance and centrality of the church. You know, people have fought for these messages in generations gone by and these values in generations gone by and we are part of that team. Almost imperceptibly, you know what it's like in any team, substitutions come, older players retire. But we're on that team, it's part of the same team that carries the same legacy, the same call. And you know, it's not just that, we've got an incredible heritage. In, I don't know what some people call it, third stream Christianity. Not just, I'm not just talking about us as commission, but when you trace through church history, there have always been movements that have avoided dead religion and that have sought to just love Jesus and be faithful to the word and have an authentic gospel and to be empowered 
by the Holy Spirit, whether it's the Waldensians, the Lollards, the Reformers, like Erasmus and Luther, whether it's the Anabaptists or Calvin in Geneva, Tyndale in England, Count von Zinzendorf, the Moravians, the Holy Club at Oxford, you can see I've listed them, I'm just reading them off to you, the Wesleys and the Methodist movement, George Whitfield, William Carey, Spurgeon, into the Restoration movements and the Reforming movements, the Charismatic Renewal, the House Church movement. Do you know, we can trace our history back much better than the Roman Catholics can with their kind of papal legacy to Peter. I mean, it's all bunkum. We've got a history. We've got a history that's worth fighting for. That team has been evolving throughout all history, and now we're on the pitch. Now it's us. Now it's our turn. You know, some of our leaders and leaders of these movements have not only lived for the values that we hold dear, they have died for the values that that we hold dear. And that's why we need to run well in our day. It's like a baton has been passed on to us. And you know what? The future church depends on us running our leg well. Because there will be another generation to come. That we want to inherit the values of this team that God has brought us into. They're going to learn from you and I. From our encouragements, our practice, our teaching, the way we'll build church, the way we disciple others, the way we love the lost, they're going to learn it from us. So we must endure. And do you know, being part of the Commission family is what helps us to keep true to all of that. I think if I didn't have the, the huge blessing of the, the, not just the accountability, but the, the, the opportunity to, to learn and Study and hear and grow and, and, and glean things from other leaders across our movement. I can't imagine what kind of church I'd build, if I'm honest. It'd be cranky. The church of Chris Kilby would be a weird thing. I mean, we'd probably play rugby on Saturday, probably have a barbecue. Actually, it's sounding quite good, actually. <laughs> but I'm grateful to all those that have helped me and taught me and discipled me and looked out for me. And, you know, when we planted a church, like John and Guy, others, who stood alongside and said, well, have you thought about this? And have you thought about them? And what about this? And, all oh, that looks a bit weird. And, and, and that's why being here is important. That's why being in is important. That's why Paul said to Timothy, endure hardship with us. There's no place for mavericks. Because God has built a family through us and with us. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know, when I look at you, you are good soldiers. You are good soldiers of Christ Jesus. This is who it is. There's not another mysterious group that have been handed this mandate that are going to come and do it on our behalf. It is you and I standing shoulder to shoulder, rank and file, soldiers of Christ Jesus. It is us. And that is sobering. That is sobering. But that army grows every day as you reach out. As people are saved and baptized and added, others are joining in the ranks, joining in, joining in. And it's that that displays the manifold wisdom of God. You know, as you get on with the day-to-day challenges and hardships of leadership, your 
fighting the fight. You know, as you give time and effort to the work of your church, as, as you spend time with your teams, as you release your deacons who serve so brilliantly in so many churches in so many ways, as your trustee teams sit and your, your, your children's workers work and your worship teams and your coffee teams and your cap teams and whatever else it might be, as we live life together, as we live together, as we laugh together, as we worship together, as we pray together, we're demonstrating that wisdom of God and we're being this army on a march and as we live well with our families we're doing exactly the same thing we're demonstrating all these beautiful values that God has put in us and you know the gates of hell will not prevail over the building of this beautiful thing that God calls his church you are part of a tough team but God wants to develop something in you as we finish today he wants to develop in you some tough traits You see, Paul's very deliberate in his use of metaphors. So when he says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, it's not just an idea he's picked out of thin air. Other translations use the word noble soldier or excellent soldier. You know, Paul would have had plenty of opportunities to observe Roman soldiers. And he often talks about the Christian life in kind of warfare terms, describing the armour that we need and the weapons that we need. So what does it mean when he says to Timothy, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus? I think Paul is inviting Timothy into a life of sacrifice, into a life of service, into a life of hardship and dedication. And I think we are called to nothing less. You see, soldiers take hardship and risk and suffering as part of their daily bread and butter. It's part of the job. They have to be alert at all times because enemy activity is happening all over the place. And I think we need to be even more alert to that in our day. I think perhaps we've dumbed down a little bit on the fact that the enemy is around. But you see, God wants to put in us today the the character traits of a good soldier, a noble soldier, an excellent soldier. He wants to do that for us today because we're going to often find it difficult to keep going in the battle if we don't have the things that we need to be able to do the job that called, has called us to do. And so when we don't have the right weapons to fight with and we don't have the right spirit in us to fight, we can end up getting exhausted, frustrated, we see problems and we can just give up. You know, John Calvin said, we see how many there are every day that throw away their spears who formerly made such a great show of valour. We dare not throw away our spears. Whatever else you may do, do not throw down your weapons and give up the fight. You might get frustrated to the point of exhaustion with problems, but don't give up. You might feel sometimes overwhelmed with the responsibility to your family, to the church, to the mission, but do not give up. There might be moments when you wistfully look back at what you used to do, but don't give up. 
Even sin might try and bind you into a place where you are unable to fight, but do not give up. There's only one thing we need to do. It's to pick up our weapons and fight. We need to listen to our commanding officer for his orders and fight the good fight of the faith. And for your sake, for your friend's sake, for your family's sake, for your church's sake, for the sake of your town or your city, for the sake of the nations, for the sake of Jesus, pick up your weapons and contend. You see, Paul urges Timothy not just to be a soldier, but to be a good soldier or a noble soldier or an excellent soldier, which implies that it's possible to be a soldier and not be a good soldier. Can I just say, a bad soldier is a dangerous thing. A bad soldier is a dangerous thing. They carry weapons, but don't have the character to use them. There's a difference between a soldier and a good soldier. And it's some of the traits of good soldiers that God wants us to take away today. Let me tell you about a good soldier. A boy who was born in 1898 to a builder and his wife in Brighton in England. His name was Clement, and as he grew, he shadowed his older brother, William, in the family builder's business. And eventually, war beckoned. And Lord Kitchener posters were put up saying, your country needs you. And down in Sussex, battalions were brought together called PALS battalions. Groups of friends who would come, train, and fight for the cause. Now, Clement was too young to join. He also knew that his older brother, William, was running the family business. So he made a decision in that moment to sacrifice his life. And he chose to enter a PALS battalion, the 13th Sussex Battalion, and to sign up under his brother's name, age 16. He was trained and soon sent to northern France. Just before the Battle of the Somme, the British forces were trying to draw the German artillery away from the battle. And so they established a diversionary attack called the Battle of Boar's Head, where all the Sussex battalions gathered, ready. And then the moment came when they were called to go over the top. Clement was obedient, faithful out of the trench and into no man's land. And immediately Clement and all his friends were mowed down by German gunfire. His fiancée, Ivy, was back in Brighton. And it wasn't long before they received the news they all dreaded. A news post from his commanding officer. Clement was seen, shot in action, missing, presumed dead. His headmaster wrote a poem and put it in the local newspaper. His family grieved. Ivy knew she was never going to have the life with her love. 
And then some months later, a postcard came through Ivy's front door. And it was a picture of a Swiss chalet. And on one of the bedrooms was a cross. And on the back of the postcard, it simply said, my room, I will be home as soon as I can. Yours, Clement. Now what had happened, instead of being killed, Clement had been shot in the head. He'd been mowed down with all of his friends. But somehow, even though he had a bullet in his head, the following morning when the German patrol was searching, they saw movement. They saw this boy moving amongst the dead bodies. And they pulled him out. And they took him to a German field hospital and they operated on him in the field. They removed the bullet. They saved his life. They put him in a prisoner of war camp. He convalesced, he recovered, he escaped. He was captured. Again, locked in a different prison camp. Escaped again, this time out of the toilet window. And eventually made his way to Switzerland where they now received this news that he was actually alive and not killed at all. He returned and married Ivy. They went on to have five children, one every five years for 25 years. He lived up until his 80s. And right up until the day he died, he had a large dent in his head as a reminder of all that had happened in his life. He was a good soldier. He was a noble soldier. He was an excellent soldier who modelled all the traits that God would have us show as we persevere in the life he's given us. He was sacrificial in going to war. He was brave in the face of a conflict that was so horrific that he never spoke of it for the rest of his life. He was resilient enough to make a full recovery from a horrific injury. He was passionate enough to risk death in escape and loyal enough to bury his past and be a blessing to his wife and his children in spite of the image of carnage that would play out daily in his memory. Clement was an inspirational but very gentle man. I was very proud to call him Grandad. <laughs> you see, a good soldier is brave. A good soldier is zealous and passionate and loyal. And there is a greater need for good soldiers in God's church now than ever. And if you want one last reason to become a good soldier, then remember your captain. The captain who's injured hands and feet are a symbol of his love for you. The captain whose eyes are like fire and yet were wet with tears of compassion. The captain whose head wears many crowns but who bore a crown of thorns. The captain who is king of kings and lord of lords yet bowed his head in death for you and I. Endure hardship like his soldier. These are tough times. 
but we're a tough team with increasingly tough traits. So I want to urge you to pick up our weapons and fight for him with every breath that we have. As I close, Benji, would you like to come up? I just want to read this to you. I came across it some years ago. It's been attributed to a, an African missionary who was martyred. And I want you just to listen and go out with this in your mind before we come to praise God at the end. It's called a strong stand. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus. I won't look back, let up, slow down or back away. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, tamed vision, mundane talking, cheap giving and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion or popularity. I don't have to be first I don't have to be recognised. I don't have to be praised, regarded or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, live by prayer and labour by power. My pace is set. My pace is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is tough. My companions few. My God reliable and my mission clear. I cannot be bought compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate at the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until He comes. Give until I drop. Preach until all know and work until He stops me. And when He comes for His own, He won't have any problem recognising me. Should we stand together? Holy Spirit, fill us with the Spirit that endures. Father, I pray for those who have been tempted to lay down their weapons. And I ask you to give them faith and courage right now to pick them up. Those who have had things robbed from them and it's left them feeling powerless. Lord, I pray right now that you would put weapons in their hands. Lord, I pray right now, those that are despondent, that have been disappointed and hurt, I pray, Father, now for them to stand to their feet and to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit and ready for the fight. I pray right now for a team of servants who will love and give and weep and serve and lead and sacrifice for others, for the cause of Christ. Lord, I pray right now for those 
that are on the verge of giving up. Lord, draw them back from the precipice, I pray, and re-equip them, re-arm them with the sword and the trowel. Lord, I pray, Father, for the younger generation amongst us. Lord, that You would give them endurance. Lord, that every setback would be another opportunity to get up and fight again. Lord, I pray that no failure would be final. Lord, and I pray, Father, that You will keep us running the race and fighting the good fight of the faith until You call us home. Lord, I pray that Commission will be known as a company of people who endure hardship like good soldiers of Christ Jesus and who declare the victory of Jesus with every word that they say and every prayer that they pray and every song that they sing and every person that comes to Christ. Lord, let us be known as those who endured, who endured for the sake of Christ. For we ask it in the mighty and powerful and everlasting Name of Jesus Christ, our great Captain. And Lord, we applaud You. We we applaud You, Jesus. The Name above every other name. Amen, amen.